Well, this is our third week to be discussing uh, the eldership, the idea of elders as presented in the New Testament, and what that means for us as a congregation, particularly at this time, as we're looking to add some more elders to our existing group. And we've had lessons that dealt with uh, the idea of shepherding. We've had lessons that dealt with the idea of working as a team, serving together as a plurality of elders, uh, some of the benefits of diversity, some of the benefits of, of learning from, depending upon, and growing with one another. What we're going to do in the lesson this morning is we're going to go to the passage that most people immediately think of when they think of who's going to be an elder. Uh, there's, there's a couple of them. There's one in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to turn your Bibles there. And there's another one in Titus chapter 1, and they give lists of the types of things you're looking for when you're looking for someone who's going to be an elder. These are inspired lists that Paul gives to help guide these churches as to these are the types of guys who will be effective leaders in Christ's church. These are the types of guys who are going to help the church and strengthen the church and strengthen you as Christians now and into the future. And so we're going to look at these lists and we're going to, uh, to, to read through both of them and try to do so with an eye towards what would be very helpful to this church and this congregation as we move forward. I started off each lesson uh, making the same points, and I told you that by the end of it you're going to be tired of hearing it, but I don't care. I'm going to do it again. Uh, here's uh, point number one. Pray a lot about what we're about to be doing here. Um, do not nominate someone. Don't submit a name that you haven't spent an extensive amount of time in prayer for. Pray for this church. Pray for our future and pray for each individual elder we currently have and for any uh, potential elder who is, uh, is being looked to to, to become uh, a shepherd for this flock. Pray a lot. And number two, this is not a time to try to think about what agendas or uh, visions for the future that you have and try to finagle and manipulate it to where you get the one you want. This is not a time to ask what agenda this church needs. This is a time to ask what shepherd does, do these sheep need? Uh, who will love this church even if they don't agree with me? Who will be a good and faithful shepherd even if we don't always see eye to eye? Who's someone you can not see eye to eye with and they're still a godly, faithful, good leader? Uh, That's a much more important question than perhaps sidestepping some of those big questions to get the one who agrees with me on this and this and this. Uh, So don't think about specific agendas. Think about godly leaders. With that in mind, uh, I do want to to read through 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. But I also want to make some preliminary points uh, to help guide our reading of these texts as we move through them. There are a couple of things that I do think are really helpful for us to know in that sometimes without these laid as uh, important foundations, uh, churches can end up doing a few things with these elders lists that I don't know that were intended to be done. Uh, So one thing that, that I think is important to remember is that the idea of elders is not a new idea. Um, it is an ancient idea going back into the Old Testament, going back into Judaism. You see elders in the days of Jesus. You see arguments about the traditions of the elders that were handed down to the people. Uh, in the Old Testament, you see in certain Jewish cities, there is a reference to going to the city gate where the elders of the city are. And they're the, uh, going to, to help solve disputes and help uh, even sometimes like with land agreements and sometimes with, uh, with uh, different arguments people are having. They try to bring about peaceable solutions. Um, One of the reasons that 
the elders are, are supposed to be people, even in the Old Testament, who are not fond of sordid gain or would never take a bribe is because they're trying to work out disputes that arise among people sometimes. And as the leaders of the city and the elders of the city, that's a big responsibility. Well, in the days of the New Testament and in the days of the early church, say the church in Ephesus, for example, you have a community of believers right there in Ephesus. It's like a city. A city set on a hill is language that Jesus uses. But they don't really own the city gates in Ephesus. They don't have political power. And so how do you have a city within a city where the pagan city is the one that has all the power and, and it owns the gates, you know, we, where you go for justice. It owns the legal system. Well, I think one of the things that Paul wants to do to try to make them a real community in a real city is to continue that idea of having the elders of the city. Only it's a city within a city. It's a community within a wider community. And they do things a little bit differently. But elders are one of the ways of maintaining that sort of close-knit community even when you are dispersed in a, in a world that doesn't always see things the way that you do. And so Paul is trying to uh, give leadership and guidance to a city to a community, to a, a, a group of believers, to a church uh, that will help guide it into the future within a world where they might not have authority outside of the church. Uh, and I, I think that's an important idea to keep in mind when we think about who our elders are and, and what they are doing. I think it's also important to note that we're going to be reading a couple of different lists here of elders. And these lists are very similar. Uh, Basically, you'll see if you read the list in Titus and you really read the list in uh, 1 Timothy, you're going to get pretty much the same type of person. Like You're going to, generally speaking, the person that you see at the church at Crete, which is where Titus is written to, and the guy at Ephesus, which is where 1 Timothy is written to, you're not going to have too many people who this is okay, you know, this applies to him and this one doesn't. They're pretty similar, so they're pointing to the same type of character, the same type of person. However... They're not exactly the same. And that's important to note also. Um, there are some differences in these different lists of elders, whether Paul is writing to Ephesus or Paul is writing to Crete or when Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 talks about leaders or uh, even last week we looked at a passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and there was a list not specifically mentioning elders but leaders in the church and leadership, those who rule over you is one of the phrases that's used. And, uh, and in each of those, you'll see some differences. And that's something to really reflect upon. So, for example, if you're reading uh, 1 Timothy, the list that we're going to go through here in just a minute, you're going to see things like not a new convert. And you'll see things like good reputation among outsiders. Well, to the church at Crete, they're not told that. Like, they're given a list to follow, and it doesn't say those things. And so that's kind of interesting. Uh, why not? Uh, I mean, it's the same guy writing both of these. Why does he mention that to one church and not to the other one? Or if you then go read the list to the church at Crete, which is there in Titus, you'll see a phrase that's used, uh, having children who believe is sometimes the way it's translated, or having faithful children. And that's not used in First Timothy chapter 3. That's kind of interesting. Uh, that's something that uh, you would think, well, why would he mention that to them? but not to them. Um, or if you were to look at First uh, Peter, what Peter says. Peter mentions um, that you shouldn't lord it over people and you should prove to be examples. Those seem to be really important ideas, and yet those aren't mentioned in the other lists. And you think, okay, so what is this telling us? 
Um, well, I think one thing it might tell us is that these lists, they're not completely comprehensive. Meaning, there are times, I'll just give an example, where Paul will give a list of spiritual gifts in the church. And in like Romans 12, he gives a list of seven. In 1 Corinthians 12, he gets a much longer list, and he mentions different gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4, he gives a different list with different gifts. And I don't think any of them are an attempt by Paul to sit down and to list every single gift the Holy Spirit has ever given to anyone so that you have a complete and comprehensive list of every single thing that the Spirit uh, can do. Uh, no, he's just giving a list of these are the types of things that the Spirit has done in this community, and so that's, that's a way to know that. I think a similar thing is happening with these lists of elders. He's not mentioning every single possibly thing, possible thing in every single list, but he is giving you... This is the type of guy you're looking for. And, and if you find a person who's like this, you found someone who's probably going to be a trustworthy, godly, faithful, good leader and elder in the church. Uh, and so you, what some churches do is uh, they'll go through the list in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and they'll write down all of the qualifications. And then they'll go through Titus 1, and they'll add all the ones that Titus mentions that aren't in that one. And then they'll go to 1 Peter 5, and they'll add all the things that Peter mentions that aren't in those two. It's where you end up with this big, lengthy list of all of the things. And then they compare that list to every person. And then they, they check off, is he this one? Is he this one? Is he this one? Oh, not that one. Can't be an elder. And it's possible that that's not the approach that Paul's wanting us to take. Because that's not the approach any of the first century churches were using. The church in Ephesus, if they had their list and they found elders that were like that, that worked for them. In the church in Crete, even if there were some differences with what's in the list to the church at Ephesus, if they found guys who were like that, that worked for them. And what Peter says, if you found guys who were like that, that worked for him. And so no one in the first century was making this grand list of all of these things, but it's an inspired guide to help the church process some major decisions. One passage that I find really, really fascinating is in Acts chapter 14. Paul is going uh, to these different cities, and he is starting churches there where they didn't exist previously. And they're dangerous places. In one place, he's stoned in Lystra, and then he gets up and he moves, and he goes to Derby, he goes to Pisidian Antioch, he goes to all these different cities. And then once he establishes churches, he makes his way back through, and he encourages them, and he teaches them, and he installs elders in every city. And you think, okay, that's, a, that's cool that you've installed elders. Now all these churches have elders. But notice all of these churches just started not too long ago, and now they have elders. Were those elders recent converts? Is that a little bit different than what is said about elders in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 about not new converts? And if so, what makes them qualified? And I know there are different ideas about that. Some people think, well, perhaps they were Jewish elders, like we talked about to start this lesson off. There were Jewish elders, and they are people who would have already been familiar with God. They would know the scriptures really well. They would be used to, um, to uh, making judgments and decisions. They probably have a good reputation for the way that they manage their own households. And so they would be people who would fit pretty well, even if they were recent converts, specifically to seeing Jesus as the Messiah and becoming Christians. And if that's the case, that's, that's great, and that's perfectly okay. But what that tells you, especially when you compare it to the differences you see between Ephesus and Crete and uh, the uh, Asia Minor and some of the other places where we see these lists, is that the lists 
generally agree in the type of person you're looking for, but they are adapted to the specific needs that arise in each individual place. So one thing that's interesting, at the end of the list in, um, in uh, Titus chapter 1, it mentions someone who is able to exhort in sound word and refute those who contradict. And that seems to be an important thing. That's not specifically mentioned to the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus does mention apt to teach, so someone who's a good teacher, and that would probably fall under that. But what's fascinating about what he says in Titus chapter 1 is he says, and to refute those who contradict, for there are many rebellious and false teachers who are going around. And all of a sudden, he says, you guys need some elders who are able to contradict the people who, or to stand up to those who contradict scripture, because you got a lot of them running around there. As a fact, if you look at Cretans, a lot of them are lazy gluttons and, and uh, lazy beasts and all like, and he goes on to talk about the culture that they're living in. And one of the reasons you need these types of elders is because they are explicitly not the types of people who are in your culture. And the church needs to look like something better. And so all of a sudden, we're seeing that his list is shaped and adapted to fit the specific needs of the church in that particular culture. I think that's important. Um, If you neglect culture and all that, and you just make one super list, first of all, you've come up with a list that's not anywhere in the Bible. You've kind of created your own. Granted, you got it from different parts of the Bible, but it's a different list than all of them had. And you seem to be neglecting the fact that their lists seem to be molded to meet the needs of the church. And so I think we need to keep that in mind as we read through these and process how we're going to proceed. Uh, Think about the types of men who are described and also the needs of the church and pray an awful lot about it. Use an awful lot of wisdom and discretion and discernment and see how you can fit those together to find good leaders and elders for this church. One thing that is interesting about the idea, going back to Acts 14, that perhaps those were Jewish elders. What would that mean for each of those churches that were established in Gentile cities where there were synagogues, but they had a completely Jewish eldership? Well, it would mean that you have a lot of fights between Jews and Gentiles. Paul constantly has to deal with these fights. But you have just a Jewish eldership. I would imagine that's not a scenario you would want to have for very long. That could potentially create uh, an imbalance of power and things. So one thing that, as I read through Timothy and Titus, is really important. Not only do you have a list of the types of people you're looking for, what you don't have is anything about you need them to be, uh, you know, instructed in Judaism, or you need to have grown up in the Jewish faith, or they need to be Gentile people. Because if you were to limit it to something like that, what you end up getting is a very homogenous group where there can be an imbalance of power and certain members of the church are not represented in that. The way that Paul makes these lists is it's not Jew or Gentile that matters. It's the type of character, which is going to be made up of people who are presumably both Jew and Gentile. And so in that way, you're going to get a diversified eldership that represents the congregation as a whole. And I think that's a really important part of moving forward, getting different types of elders who will represent different ways of thinking, different attitudes, different even demographics within the congregation that is made up. Um, you want some people who are great visionaries for the future and great at planning and ideas, and, and they, they constantly have brilliant uh, thoughts, and, and they, they have dreams about what the church could be. 
It's also important to have some pragmatists who uh, can, uh, can look at things and think, well, that's great, but we also need to think critically about this a little bit. Uh, it's helpful to have both of those types of mindsets in the same room. It's helpful to have people who uh, are known for how well they know the church and the congregation and the flock and the individual Christians. It's also helpful to have people who know their scriptures really, really well. Not that those two are mutually exclusive at all, but the idea is you're going to have people who are going to excel in different areas. And that's actually probably a good thing because when you are the type of man that is described— then you can work well with people even when they think and see things differently than you. And you don't end up with members of the church who have, uh, who, who, who don't have a voice among the eldership. It's important to have a voice for a lot of the different uh, uh, members within a congregation. And so Paul does not divide it up based on Jew or Gentile or one way of thinking versus another way of thinking. He actually describes men of good, godly character who can work together. Um, Another thing that I think is really important um, as we begin to make our way through this list is so many of these qualifications are not precisely defined. What I mean by that is you are invited as a Christian to use wisdom and discernment when thinking about how it is that this is going to apply to each person. What I mean is you're allowed to think. And sometimes, sometimes we, we forget that the Bible's not only telling us what to do or what to think. The Bible's often teaching us how to think as people of God. And these lists, as you read through them, they're not precisely defined. So what I mean by that is, uh, so tonight... Tonight in the lesson, we're going to look at some of the more controversial ones and try to give uh, some, of, some answers to some of those questions that come up. But uh, we'll also look at some of the differences. But take, for example, uh, you read through, and uh, the, one, of the, uh, one of the qualifications that I see right here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is hospitable. Okay, that's, that's a good one. That's important. How many times per year does an elder need to have someone over at their house in order for it to count as hospitable? Um, Is it possible that one person will think, yeah, that's a very hospitable person. I've been over to their house. And another person will think, yeah, I've only been once in three years. You know, that's not hospitable at all. And all of a sudden, we, Paul doesn't define exactly hospitality. Hospitality is loving strangers. Hospitality is welcoming people into your house. But how many times do you need to do that in order for that to perfectly match that word? Well, you kind of need to think about it and to talk about it and and to to have some wisdom and discernment as you go through here. Um, You can do that with pretty much every one of these, Uh, whether or not someone is gentle. Okay, well, how gentle is gentle? Uh, are, Are they allowed to say, stop that? Or do they have to say, please... If you don't mind, it would really mean a lot to me if you would, like, how how gentle in their speech do they need to be in order to count as gentle? Um, Like, again, with each of these words, you, not everyone has the exact same definition of them, and personalities vary, and so that's an invitation to think through them and to, to recognize that we might not all have the exact same definition of this word, but what kind of man is this? Is this a good godly man? 
Is this someone who has shown that he takes uh, his faith seriously? Is this someone who's kind to other people? Uh, You know, you could say, is this someone who generally is this way? But even that word generally is defined by each one of us. Uh, And so it's not a precise list that you can perfectly nail down every one of them. You're allowed to think about it. And you're allowed to use wisdom. And you're allowed to discuss. And you do have to rely upon the the eldership that you currently have. You do have to rely upon uh, what a lot of people take things to mean. I mean, that's part of this process. And that's one of the ways you adapt it to the needs of the church. That's one of the ways that you use this uh, as it's needed with each uh, individual congregation. I remember uh, that talking uh, with someone one time about that uh, final um, one in verse 3, or, or sorry, of verse 7 of chapter 3 in 1 Timothy, where it says, good reputation with those on the outside. And the person who was up for elder was a coach. And pretty much everyone thought this was a great guy, and he had a great reputation, and he was someone who was widely loved and respected. But I know one person who said, he can't be an elder because I know a referee. (laughs) Who, by the way, if you know coaches and referees, they don't always get along real well. Uh, He's like, I know a referee who has a very uh, unfavorable opinion of this guy. You think, okay, so one referee who had a bad encounter with a coach, does that mean he doesn't have a good reputation? Does he have to have a good reputation with every single person on the outside? What if, uh, what if he's a police officer? Are you going to go take the opinion of the criminals? <laughs> Be like, is this a good guy? Um, all of that is a way of saying that some of these things, they require some wisdom and discernment, and that's okay. Um, moving on, uh, I would say another idea to keep in mind as we go through is you can expect growth from each other. What I mean is no one ever is going to perfectly match every one of these. Certainly not before they've even become an elder. Uh, You look at them and you think, who are the types of people that that are like this? Uh, But when you start comparing people to these, you'll find that, that one person may be really, really hospitable. Not the greatest teacher in the world. He can teach. But he's not someone who, uh, who maybe would be your first thought as a teacher. Well, can he grow? Can, uh, can he uh, focus on his area of strength and other elders focus on that other area of strength? Can he work together well with them? And just because someone becomes an elder, you know, in a month or two months or whenever, um, doesn't mean they're going to stay exactly where they are forever. I go to the elders meetings, and you know what I see when I go there? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys all in on the, the secrets of the elders' meetings. Uh, so listen up. Um, do you know how they start off? They start off with an elder who gives a devotional, a devotional thought, and it kind of rotates. And then you have a, a prayer. Before uh, the meeting begins, after the devotional thought, the elders have had a thought together from Scripture. They have prayed together. And then they go around the table and they talk about the different areas of ministry uh, and of work that they're involved in and what's going on there. Or they talk about uh, someone maybe who has approached them throughout the week with with a problem that needs uh, some help or some prayer or or to be addressed. Or uh, someone who is in need or someone who they're proud of. Uh, They'll go through and sometimes they'll talk about personal matters, whether within their family or within uh, their own lives that they're struggling with, whether it's health or other and and we all talk about those things and everyone do, and then there's a prayer for all of for all of the people who are mentioned a prayer for this church a prayer for people here who are going through health difficulties or or, or having a dilemma and there, there's 
a lot of time spent in conversation, in devotional, in prayer, and in discussing and letting everyone know what's going on here at the church so that they can proceed with wisdom moving forward. And do you know what happens if you attend something like that every week? You grow to love the people you're with. You grow to know a lot more about the church. You grow to get more actively involved. You get encouraged that becoming an elder is something that will cause spiritual growth also. And so if you're looking for the perfect person before they even become an elder, they're going to have nowhere to grow once they are an elder. What you're looking for is people who can embody this, these characteristics and then serve faithfully and grow from them. So uh, with all that said, let's just read through them and then uh, make a final point before we draw this lesson to a close. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read the first seven verses, then we're going to move over to Titus. <clears throat> It is a trustworthy statement. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. Basically, you're not looking at him and seeing major faults, errors, sins in their lives that that define who they are. You can't see that when you look at them. Um, The husband of one wife or a a man of one woman is another translation. We'll talk about that some tonight. Um, Sensible or or self-controlled. Thoughtful or uh, prudent, respectable, uh, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or a heavy drinker, not violent or someone who's uh, quick to wrath, but rather someone who's gentle, someone who you feel comfortable and safe going to and talking to, Um, someone who is peaceable or not quarrelsome. If this guy has a history of striking up dilemmas or finding little pieces of controversy to harp on, not going to be your good elder quality person. Um, free from the love of money. By the way, if you continue reading First Timothy, you get a you did get a pretty good definition of what it means uh, to be uh, free from the love of money. In chapter six, he talks about the love of money being the root of all kinds of evil. He talks about those who have money, some of the uh, responsibilities that that places upon them to be generous. You can tell whether or not a person loves their money by what they do with it and how generous they are with it. Uh, verse four. He must be one who manages his own household well. All right, so well, that's, that's a word that's not precisely defined, but uh, probably is going to, you know, vary a little bit among person to person. But he does a good job with his household. I'll also say this. One of the other issues that you come up with is even just that word household. The way we think of that word today in the way they would have thought of that word 2,000 years ago in Ephesus, uh, or a Jewish community would have thought about that word, is going to be quite different. Um, I know many elders who their household is basically them and their wife, maybe a pet. Uh, in this context, household, families generally stayed together, generation after generation. You generally had multiple generations in one home. And so some of the things about children... It's going to be a little bit different if your children move off to another part of the country and they're not part of your household anymore. Uh, that some of these words, you have to adapt their meaning to our modern context, and that takes some wisdom and thought to do that. But he manages his household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So in this context, the, the idea of the way you run your house is uh, a good picture of your leadership qualities among a larger family, the family of God. Um, Verse 6, not a new convert, 
so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. So you get a young guy who's on fire for the Lord and everyone's really impressed. And you think, hey, that's the type of guy who needs to be an elder. Then he becomes an elder and he thinks, wow, I am pretty impressive. That's not the trajectory you want. That can end up leading to someone getting a bigger head than probably they should have. One of the things that Paul wants is enough time to pass so that a person establishes credibility as having these types of characteristics rather than someone who can show them for a few months or or a year or something like that. Demonstrate that you're this type of person day in and day out in good times and in bad times. Uh, You know, have some, have, have a track record. Uh, Then uh, finally, verse seven, he must have a good reputation with those on the uh, outside the church so that he will not fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Um, It's important if you are in a big city like Ephesus uh, and you're going to have a, a larger congregation there, that that church is well thought of. If you want to evangelize, it's important to have a church that's well thought of. If you have a guy who's a leader in the church and everyone outside the church hates him, uh, well, no one's going to think very well about that church and no one's going to want to become a part of that church. So having someone who, when people say, oh, I love that guy. Wait, really? He's an elder of that church? That's interesting. Uh, maybe there's more to this christianity thing than i thought you know like someone who opens doors to the church rather than closes them based on their reputation is one of the the uh, aspects that paul's wanting here in and um, for the church at ephesus now i'm going to quickly go through the list in uh, in titus chapter one and then we'll we'll bring our lesson to a close titus chapter one beginning in verse five says for this reason i left you in crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, this is, this is Titus's uh, uh, requirements for who he's looking for, the type of man. Namely, if a man is above reproach, and we saw that one earlier, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, which is a, a different way of talking about what he mentioned uh, there at Ephesus. But he says, uh, having faithful children or children who believe, the children who are not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Uh, verse 7. For an overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not a heavy drinker or addicted to wine, not pugnacious or violent, uh, not fond of sordid gain. That's a kind of a different way of saying doesn't love money. But here's a way of saying he's not... He's someone you can trust even if he has money. If he's in charge of some, some financial things, he's not looking for ways to line his own pockets. Um, get verse 8. But hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just. That's one that's really important that isn't mentioned in Ephesus. Now, again, that's not to say Paul doesn't think the church in Ephesus needs a just guy. But, uh, but it's a way of rem- remembering these are not completely comprehensive lists. And here he's saying someone who cares about justice and what is right. Uh, devout, self-controlled. And then verse 9, holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the doctrine or the teaching. So that he may be able both to exhort in healthy teaching and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men and empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. So he says we need to have some people who can refute those who contradict because there's a lot of them around who are causing some problems. And so again, that's, that's some evidence of adaptation for the needs of the church. But having read through those, it's important to remember that uh, these lists are helpful 
they are inspired, they are what God wants to lead the church. They're not exactly exhaustive or comprehensive. Uh, They are adapted slightly to the needs of the church, but they're in essence describing a man of the same type of character. They're describing a man the same type of of Christian response to God. Here is what, in essence, I think these lists are. I'm going to boil it all down to uh, hopefully one major descriptive point. Um, Any man with a family who's a Christian, should be trying to live this way. These are not superhuman qualities. Uh, You shouldn't read through this and be like, uh, okay, so uh, an elder's not to be violent. All the other Christians can be violent, but an elder's not supposed to be. No, these are the types of things that all Christians should be trying to do. And an elder is someone who does them well and has established credibility as someone who has done them well for a long time. So if you have someone who has faithfully lived the Christian life, and they've done it for a lengthy period of time, that's kind of who you're looking for. You're looking for someone who has proven through their life that they're obedient to Jesus and that they are faithful in all things and that you can see it in their household. They're not different at home than they are at church. They don't act one way with their family and then put on a mask when they go to church. No, this is someone who, whether they're outside in their work environment, outside the church, they have a good reputation there because they're an honest, good person. Whether it's their home, they're an honest, good person. Whether they're in the church, they're an honest, good person. And this is someone who their life looks like that because they genuinely love and care about Jesus and they're faithful to him. And so that's the type of person you're looking for. And that's the type of person that Paul mentions in these different places. That's the type of person that uh, Peter mentions when he says he doesn't lord it over you, but he's an example. All Christians can try to live like this guy. That's who you're looking for. And it's a rather simple way to say it, but I think that's in essence what Paul is looking at here, and I think it's what we should be looking for as a congregation. Who is a faithful, godly Christian person who has demonstrated throughout their life faithfulness and obedience to Jesus? That's the type of person you can follow, who you can learn from, who can have an impact on the spiritual well-being of the church, who can work well with a group of elders and can lead us uh, into a faithful and fruitful future. Again, tonight we'll go a little bit more in depth with some of the the passages that cause hiccups and some controversial things, Um, but hopefully that gives us a good guide for moving forward for for what we're looking for. If there's anyone here who would like to become a Christian this morning, if there's anyone here who would like the prayers of this church, you can talk to some of our elders in the library in the back, or you can come and sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.